When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast with my partners, Brian Siegler, Jonathan Talley, and Sheldon Moss. I'm Curtis Wilson. And this episode is brought to you by Jeremy Counts at the Main Street Pharmacy in Blacksburg. If you love this podcast, the Hokies, the town of Blacksburg, make sure you're supporting Main Street Pharmacy when you go to town. Whether you need prescriptions, a tube of toothpaste, or just want to stop and say hello, let Jeremy and his team take care of you. The money you spend at Main Street Pharmacy goes towards the things you support. So next time you're in Blacksburg, head on down to 301 South Main Street. Fellas, we got a packed one tonight. I'm excited to bring this man on tonight. Uh, he is the owner and creator of Pick 6 Previews, the uh, most accurate preview magazine out there. He is Brett Siancia. Brett, how are you doing tonight? Hey guys, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. It's uh, it's an honor to be back on with you guys. Probably our fourth straight season, um, but uh, this is a special season here, the end of an era, 2023. When you look across the conference landscape and the playoff bracket changing, it's it's a little bit of nostalgia this time around. So excited to break it down with you guys, and um, and yeah, excited to get into it. Yeah, we've got uh, we've got the Pac-12 kind of dismantling there, and we've got the ACC more or less on uh, on life support here. So. It's definitely an interesting time uh, to talk a little preview, talk a little college football, and kind of see what uh, what the Hokie season looked like and kind of what the ACC uh, schedule is kind of stacking up for the Hokies this year. So let's go ahead and jump right into it, Brett. Um, you know, we, we looked at the magazine. We, we, we love what you wrote there. Very, very insightful uh, information about the Hokies. Um but let's start with uh, with some of the weapons that the Hokies added on offense, pretty much at every skill position. Um, but you know, success for this team is probably going to begin and end with the quarterback. Um, that room now has Kyron Jones, Drones, along with returning starter Grant Wells. Regardless of who wins this job, how much additional production uh, must come out of that quarterback position this year for you to feel that the Hokies could become more of a middle-of-the-pack offense versus kind of where you have them right now, which is kind of that bottom two or three. Yeah, well, that's certainly an area of concern last year and uh, definitely needs some improvement. You look back uh, statistically, second worst in the conference in a lot of the key metrics I look at passing-wise, uh, QB rating uh, per attempt, 
So, uh, and a touchdown to pick ratio. I think he was a solid nine, nine, uh, you know, one-to-one ratio. It's not going to get it done, um, in the ACC. So yeah, that, that's a big area that's, that's needed to improve. And, um, there was a limitation along with pretty much pick your spot last year on the offense. Unfortunately, it was one of the worst, uh, Virginia tech offenses I've ever graded. And, um, I think they ended up third worst in power five overall. So that's certainly the most important position, but they have a lot to clean up across the across the board. Absolutely. And, you know, last year, you know, you had Bradlin and Joe Rudolph, two guys who had been offensive coordinators in the past. And, you know, you mentioned in the magazine they moved on. Glenn heading to Cincinnati as an offensive coordinator, Rudolph moving up to Notre Dame. But now there's going to be more of a focus on Bowen's Moorhead RPO spread type system. And of the metrics we that you review, we feel that if OL – offensive line run push improves that this offense is going to have a lot more success for you. As you look through your metric, which one sticks out to say, if the Hokies are better, that one's going to be better. Yeah. Well, I I like your answer. Actually. I think it's got to start with the offensive line. Uh, When you look at them last year, one of the worst offensive lines statistically in the country. Um, You know, I have my, like you mentioned, offensive line run push and my pass protection sack rate. They were one of only three in Power Five to place in the bottom, uh, you know, outside of number 100. So, along with Iowa and Boston College, with some of the worst offensive line play in the country. So, got to improve there. That, that's step number one. Um, but for this big RPO offense, another one I'll throw in there will be the explosive plays. I think that's that's huge uh, in a wide open spread attack. Um, you know, Bowen. You talked about Joe Moorhead. They come from that old uh, those Penn State teams with uh, Trace McSorley. They were blowing off. Huge, uh, huge explosive passes. They had Saquon Barkley, you know, ripping off long yardage runs. So um, along with offensive line improvement, I want to see some explosiveness return because it was really stuck in the mud last year. Definitely, definitely. <clears throat> Pivoting to our next point, when you talk in your in your outlook, you talk about there weren't enough or I wanna, don't want to quote you if I'm wrong. You said there weren't enough overnight fixes uh, in the offense to imagine a drastic change or drastic um better offense a better unit uh the Hokies took six um six portal offensive transfers now with that being said was that you know not enough players maybe not enough uh, quality players what kind of brought you to that outlook yeah so I guess the quantity might be there uh with those six guys but um, when you look at the ratings, they, they didn't rate anywhere near the top 15 of uh, the transfer classes. Um, and I think it's a little bit of uncertainty. So these guys might turn out to be incredible. I know that uh, Tootin had a ton of production at the NC, at the, um, what was it, the NCA&T, the FCS level. Uh, so he could be a star. We'll see. And then with, with drones, I mean, he was recruited to Baylor. I think he was a high three, maybe a four star dual threat. I mean, he led a state title in Texas. That's a pretty good resume builder. So he's got a high ceiling, too. It's just a little uncertain for me. And I guess it's all comparative, too. I think that these are all good players. But when you look at some of the other transfer additions across the conference, they are former starters, even former all-conference guys at other places. So maybe it's just I should have said maybe more proven at other places oh, yeah, uh, because these guys certainly have potential. Now, I would, I would say – I mean, I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that. Now, you did throw us a little bit of love. We did pick up Ali Jennings from uh, Old Dominion. And he did make your all-transfer team. So we're pretty excited about that. Yeah. I was glad to see you throw us a little bit of love on that. So hoping that can translate yeah. on the field. 
Yeah, well, it's been such a crazy offseason. It was last year, too, with the transfer portal boom. I felt mm-hmm. that, um, you know, for my preview book, I wanted to add an all-transfer team, a new feature. Mm-hmm. Everyone's familiar with the all-ACC or all-SEC teams, but I put in an all-transfer team so you can start to map where all these players are going. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Virginia definitely. Tech represented there on the offense. Yeah, so, Brett, looking looking big picture now, one thing I like about your previews is that you include a five and 10 year trend in recruiting and also game grades to kind of give a big, a long-term look at the health of the program. I think this is a bit of a sour spot for Virginia Tech fans because of the regression that the, uh, the program has seen over the past um, few years. Uh, but do you think that uh, Virginia Tech, uh, is there a good reason to believe that this program can get back to being a consistent top 25 team, even if it kind of takes a few years to kind of get there? Um, well, yeah, I think, that's definitely possible. I think that Virginia Tech as a program definitely has a top 25 ceiling. I mean, they could definitely be in there. Um, I don't know if you meant recruiting or overall, but really in both because first with recruiting, the first thing I ever look at is geography. I think that's key in recruiting. It always will be. And uh, yeah, they're based in in that DMV area, that that southeast of the country where there's more and more high school talent popping up. Um, And they have a coach now with Brent Pry. I had a chance to interview him last spring. And he said his number one concern was uh, returning the importance of in-state recruiting. Uh, it had been kind of looked away uh, in, the, in the prior regime. So uh, all that to say, I think they, they definitely can be consistent top 25 recruiters going forward. And with the right staff and the right schemes, a top 25 recruiting class should translate to a top 25 caliber football team. So, um, and, you know, I'm a little bit on the younger side. So growing up, all I knew was the Frank Beamer era and, and solid defenses, great secondaries, you know, DBU, they got some consideration there. Uh, um, so for, to me, Virginia Tech is a power program and certainly has that ceiling. It's just a matter of getting back. You know, it feels weird placing them so low in the, in the conference, and I think it's a matter of time until they're back in that ACC top five competing. Yeah, we right there with you, man. We feel weird, too. We want to get up out of there. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so uh, the loss of longtime starter Dax Hollyfield, I feel – we feel like he was here for about 20 years uh, <laughs> for how long he was at uh, Virginia Tech, but he's moved on now. Um, and we're seeing more athletic linebackers in that room. Uh, Pry and, and Marv have started to get players that are more of their type of players in. Uh, would it surprise you to see a big jump uh, in that defense and in that room, production in that room with them getting more athletic players and longer players? No, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all. I mean, I'm based out of Pennsylvania, so I was a little uh, familiar with what he did at Penn State. It was uh, some of the best defenses year in and year out, um, and, and really one of the key points of it was how aggressive they were, attacking and aggressive, I'd call it. Um, and it's funny, when you look at my stat chart there for defense, one of the only bright spots last year, uh, top 40 national, was the negative play rate, which is directly tied to that aggressive nature, that blitz happy, making plays behind the line of scrimmage, causing havoc. So, uh, I think that's all part of Prize DNA, and now with a second-year coach bonus, yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. So I'm not exactly sure on which personnel is going to step up, what what starter or new, um, you know, new emerging player it'll be. I know it will be someone, and uh, there's enough firepower there to to find a starting eleven and uh, find a starting linebacker trio. So I think you're in good shape defensively. Yeah. Yeah, definitely excited to see what uh, what Lawson can do as a full-time starter, maybe see Keller step into that mic position with Dax out there. So it's going to be an exciting year to look at that. But let's move up a level here and talk about the defensive line. Um, you talked a lot in the in the book about the, the, the D-line departures at the defensive end position and the lack of 
rush production last year. Uh, Tech ranked actually 94th nationally in sack rate in 2022. Um, but one of the bigger offseason portal additions was Antoine Powell-Rowland Jr. coming over from Florida. Um, we know veterans like Cole Nelson, C.J. McCray, they're going to play a role there. It looks like uh, Powell-Rowland's kind of the guy to to take up a lot of the steps that, that Taiwan Garbett had last year. Uh, do you think he can have a similar impact for the Hokies in a full-time role, considering that he showed – a big flash in a more specialized role at Florida. Yeah, absolutely. And you got to remember who he was competing against on the roster of Florida. It's, it's blue chippers everywhere, top hundred, top 50 guys everywhere. So uh, despite not being a full-time starter there, I think he's still got valuable experience. Uh, no knock on him. So yeah, that's potential. I like what they have at defensive tackle uh, with some familiar names coming back. Um, so yeah, there's, there's definitely places to build around and, and um I agree with you on that. That's awesome to hear. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna have a little uh, little little come Jesus moment. So you mentioned a big win would be bowl eligibility this year. Um, we'd like it, obviously, but I think as we look back at 2022, with one of the worst offenses, not on just G5 or P5 in the whole country, in a solid but not a great defense, the Hokies blundered three games. They blundered ODU. They blundered NC State. They blundered Georgia Tech. And they didn't get to play UVA, who they probably would have been a significant favorite over. So my question, you know, due to the tragedy that happened at UVA, but here's what I say. Based on this schedule, is this more of a big win or is this more of an expected progression where the close games flip the other way this year? Well, I'll stick to what I was saying. Just because coming off of last year, I mean, it was a pretty brutal season win-loss record-wise. I think that, yeah, the old Dominion game, uh, you really fumbled that one away. Literally, I saw that snap fly over the holder's head. Oh, man. That's a 10-point swing, man. That's yes, a 10-point swing. And, um, you know, you mentioned the other two close ones. But there were a lot of black eyes, too. I mean, getting beat down by West Virginia, uh, blown out several weeks. Really, the offensive limitations was what really uh, weighed down their grades last year. So, I think to, to get to five, in this case, six wins for bowl eligibility, that shows that you fix the offense. That shows that the defense made a progression from average to above average. So I think all those things are wins. Um, and you also have to factor in you're playing a, a couple power fives in the non-conference this year with Purdue and Rutgers. Towards the bottom of the power five, yes, but still, I mean, those are power five opponents. Marshall had a great defense last year. So, yeah, I think that getting the, a bowl season in year two is a win. I think you got to start to stack those. Uh, start to get momentum because you know it's it's rare to go from three wins to ten wins. You got to get that yeah. intermediate year, that building block year. This is a good spot to try and get the six or seven plus wins. Definitely, definitely. Um, when you talk about those wins and trying to get there, one name that we as Hokie fans don't want to see is FSU, which is one of our one of our opponents this year. Um, you actually had FSU favored to win the ACC and head to the college football playoffs this year. So um, they're returning yeah. a lot of production on both sides of the ball, uh, trending positive in a lot of matrix. Uh, that said, is there one particular matrix that gives you like a little bit of pause that, you know, they may can't close it out or they may kind of fumble that away? Well, I feel pretty strong with the Florida State pick. Um, you know, I think it's a little bit of a surprise to see them in the playoff bracket. I, you know, I got a lot of attention for that. It wasn't <laughs> by design. I just truly believe it. 
Um, start with last year, 2022. That was really their breakthrough year statistically. You look at all my numbers and metrics, they were top 10, top 20 in everything. Mm-hmm. Offense, defense, pick your number. Um, that was good in itself. But then they bring back the number one most returning production in America. The entire roster coming back. Uh, some key NFL decisions that decided to come back to Florida State on their defensive line. Jordan Travis, dual threat quarterback. Uh, and then the last piece is that not only that, those two factors, but they really excel again in the transfer portal. Uh, another top five transfer class. And Norvell, he doesn't just sign them. He really develops the transfers into all conference guys. Yeah. So while Clemson ignored the portal, Florida State's embraced it and really bolstered their roster up. So, yeah, I feel pretty good about this Florida State team. Definitely to hit their nine and a half win total. That's that's my one of the best bets of the year. Uh, winning the conference will still be tough against Clemson, but – um, yeah, I think it's a, a pretty strong team. And uh, if they survive the ACC 12 and 1, that means a playoff bid. So, in keeping with the uh, ACC opponents that Tech will face this year, you've got the uh, Pitt Panthers, who have been a thorn in the side of Virginia Tech for the past few years. They're an interesting team to watch, I think. Obviously, they're a very good developmental program under Narduzzi. Um, his bread and butter is defense, but they do lose a few uh, key defensive players this season, as well as their running back, uh, Abanakanda. Uh, do you think that their success will depend on on Phil Jerkovich's health? And uh, do you see um, their defense being able to kind of maintain where they've been the past few years coming into uh, 2023? Yeah, yeah well, with the defense, uh, it's funny. I was talking to Coach Narduzzi, and, and he was uh, very adamant that he, he invented his scheme and everyone else is copying him, you know? So, uh, he, you know, he's the originator, and everyone else that just drives a, a worse version of his car, as he likes to say. But um, – yeah, I think – and you know what? There's some truth to that. I mean, look at how they reload every year. They, they place in the top five uh, in sacks every year, one of the most disruptive in the backfield every year. So, uh, all jokes aside, he does have quite a track record defensively. Now, it is more transition than usual. Uh, more stars are gone. But uh, when you have a coach that's successful on one side of the ball, I, I tend to side with them. Um, so, I think that they're going to be fine defensively. I like the, the transfer addition of Dracovic. He was really strong in 2020 and 2021 before his injury. Uh, and then last year had one of the worst offensive lines in the country in front of him uh, and got knocked out of the year again. So I think not only is he with a better offensive line here at Pitt, he's back with Frank Signetti, who was the coordinator up at BC when he had his best season. So uh, all that to say, I have them fourth in the ACC. Uh, outside the top 25, though, there's still a lot of questions there. Um, definitely a, a winnable game for Virginia Tech. Uh, but I do have them all the way up there at number four. Yeah. I like hearing that. I like hearing that we might you, ha- you have confidence in potentially us taking care of Pitt this year. All right, I'm going to flip to another ACC school. Let's talk about Louisville. It seems like they are getting a huge bump from the hire of Jeff Brom um, by everybody, um, everybody in the country. And that said, there is a lot of question marks for this team for Louisville, though, despite the optimism with him coming back and the success he had at Purdue. You've got them six – we feel they probably could be as high as five due to their easy schedule, or if things just don't click, maybe as low as 11. What metric really gave you pause to say they can finish in the upper half of the ACC? Well, you touched on it. its schedule was a key driver here for Louisville, but uh, schedule aside, I, I think Coach Brom's a proven offensive guy. He's got a fun offense. It's a widespread passing offense, uh, and he brought in two – former quarterback so these guys are really familiar with him one's a former starter with jack Plummer, uh, and then uh indiana quarterback uh 
quarterback of the year or, or whatever at the high school level, Brady Allen. So yeah. uh, he's got, got his quarterbacks coming in, uh, a top 15 transfer hall too, um, and then also some good talent on, on offense to build around. So um, now the, here's the, the pessimist spin is that, yeah, it's a coaching transition season. Uh, there's a big talent drain on defense that they have to deal with. Um, but, yeah, I think the middle of the pack of the ACC, there's a lot of thin margin there. You could argue a team, like you said, from fifth all the way to tenth. It's a t- tight pack. But their schedule was the difference here. Uh, they have definitely the easiest in the ACC. They avoid the top three, and I'm calling that Florida State, Clemson, and UNC. So they avoid all three of them, and they play all, all seven of my bottom seven. So schedule-wise, huge bonus. And, you know, it's a whole new world now without the Atlantic and Coastal Divisions. The, the schedules are all scattered around, so you got to find these gems like this where um, they could even be an average team and go eight and four. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely what we were looking at, too. Like, we saw the schedule. Like, okay, that, that makes sense why they're getting a, a big bump here, especially with Braum coming in. So, um, def, definitely could see, like I, like I said, we looked at it. We could see them five. We could see them five. We could also see them 11, just depending on how, how the defense stacks up, whether they can stay healthy. Um, but that schedule is definitely going to give them an easy path to eight, like you said. Um, let's pivot over to UVA, though. Um, you know, looking at that that team, defense was the kind of the lone bright spot for that unit in 2022. Um, Up front, they got four starters back, but they lost both starting corners and an all-ACC linebacker. Are you expecting a regression year for the defense? And if that's the case, maybe even an uglier overall year two than their their first year um, with Tony Elliott at the helm? Yeah, well, last year they were all defense. Uh, When you look at their – that profile when you watch them they couldn't get anything done offensively but it was a solid top 20 defense and uh the problem here with 2023 is it's twofold number one i don't see a fix on offense i think that's going to struggle again but number two i don't think that the defense is proven like it was last year you lost their top three defenders um and worse it wasn't fifth year guys that have exhausted their eligibility and heading to the pros it was they transferred to other teams it's it's hard to see that happen so you had three-time all acc nick jackson quarterback of the defense there at backer he's gone to iowa he's going to be the starter over there um and then uh and then fentrell cypress uh number one cornerback transfer in the entire country heads over to florida state so um their best guys got poached and i just don't see any any huge fixes so i have them slated for dead last in the acc and what is that 66 out of 69 that's fourth worst in the power five so looks for it look it looks like another tough year for uva yeah, and it does seem that way even, you know, as we follow it, even on the recruiting trail, there's not been many wins for UVA this year. All right, we got one more before we uh, let you out of here, and that is one of the out-of-conference opponents you mentioned. And the reason we're mentioning it is because all four of us will be heading to Blacksburg for that game, and it's Purdue. And let's talk about them. Ryan Walters, great job as the Illinois defensive coordinator last year. This is his first full-time head coaching gig. And he walks into what is a slightly below average defense um, and the portal wreaked absolute havoc on their line. Four transfers out. The rush defense was a little bit above last year, a little bit above average, and great at holding explosive plays down. With all these losses, are you expecting that to be the metric that just takes the hit in 2023? Yeah, I think that they're in for a transition season uh, and not in a good way for Purdue. Um you know, if you if you blind, put a you know if you did a blind resume on Purdue, you would never have predicted that that'd be a, a conference champion or division champion. They won the West last year. I don't know how. Uh, <laughs> it does just doesn't stack up. Um, what is that? They were graded 44th in Power Five despite winning the West. So 
Um, yeah, I have them all the way down in sixth place out of seven in the Big Ten West. Um, now, I do think that Ryan Walters, he's a great defensive mind. I, I had a chance to talk with him, too, and he's coming in really confident into the Big Ten. He was saying how he knows the Big Ten. It doesn't matter that he's a new-time head coach. Now, it doesn't matter for your matchup. You're not a conference opponent, never played him. So, um, yeah, I think it's going to be a tough transition season for Purdue and definitely a winnable game there that you guys will get to witness in Lane Stadium. Yeah, we're looking forward to that one. That's going to be a big game, I feel like. You know, first kind of big um, Power Five out of conference that we've had in a little bit at home. Um, it's going to be interesting because, you know, this schedule for the Hokies this year isn't isn't a lot of marquee matchups, so that Purdue game is kind of circled for a lot of us. So um, it should be, should be a lot of fun. But let's talk about the offensive guy that they brought in. We got Graham Harrell there brought in to, uh, to run his air raid offense. And they went out and got uh, quarterback Hudson Card from Texas. Uh, is there an offensive metric that you're expecting to improve the most um, within um, that system um, compared to what they had last year under Brom? Yeah. Um, so it is a little bit similar of an offense. It's both going to be pass heavy. Um, and, you know, Graham Howell running his, his version of the air raid, slightly different than Coach Brom's, but uh, in the same family of offense. So probably a similar stat profile. I think the one that might improve might be quarterback rating. I think that maybe per, on a per play basis, maybe they'll get more efficient, but um, Hudson card. Uh, yeah. He was a former top 50 recruit, um, you know, started some games at Texas, had to go against two five stars down there. So uh, it's not exactly the usual backup quarterback. I think he's a solid starter, probably in the upper half of, of big 10 quarterbacks. So, um, yeah, you're going to get a solid team. But, again, it's only going to be his second start. It's his first road start in the at, at Purdue. Um, so, I think it's, again, a winnable game for you guys. Absolutely. And, you know, he did have some starting time down at Texas. But, again, whole new system, whole new place, whole new environment. Brett, we know you were a busy man. You jumped from the Spurs Up podcast straight over to the Boundary Corner podcast. We really appreciate you taking your time. We know you're now headed over to the Big Red podcast with Nebraska so you continue to make your rounds around college football. Keep doing what we do, what you do, because we love the magazine. Um, it's a great read every year to not only familiarize ourselves with the way you feel the ACC is going and our Hokies, but also the rest of the country. Yeah, well, thanks a ton for the praise. Thanks for having me on. And um, a huge respect for the Hokie fans out there. One of the most passionate in the, in the country, definitely in the ACC. I've seen it firsthand. I was down 2009 in Lane Stadium for the Nebraska-Virginia Tech game, a random matchup there. Um, sure brings back some memories for you guys. Uh, oh, yeah. Danny Cole running down the sideline. Oh, yeah. But, um, yeah, but uh, no, but, yeah, I want to get back down to Lane Stadium eventually and, um, you know, get to see that, ex that experience again, one of the best in the country. So big respect to the fan base and, and to you guys for putting on a great product here, covering the Hokies, and uh, best of luck this season. Appreciate, Appreciate it, Brett. Appreciate it, Brett. Thanks, man. All righty, fellas. Before we get into more topics tonight, we are going to take a quick pause for a message from our digital partners. As we take a quick break, we'd like to tell you about getting your free website report from our digital partner, Grassroots Digital Marketing Studio. They'll tell you how your website ranks on Google, on-site SEO, and social media. No commitment to buy anything. You can get your free report by visiting grassrootsdigitalstudio.com forward slash free dash website dash report. Now back to the episode. All righty, and we are back. Before we jump into the other topics tonight, y'all, um, you know, we, we rolled through that. We rolled through that. I don't know. We got every question in in 30 minutes and less. So Hey, we did, it, quick. We did it. We did it. We did that quick. Um, but let's think about some of the stuff he said. Um, 
the Hokies, the opponents, anything, anything that caught y'all, any of y'all start, anything that caught y'all right offhand. If you're out there listening and you got something he said that you don't agree with or you agree with completely, put it in the comments. We'll talk about that too. Who wants to fire first? All right. Does, did Narduzzi invent the attacking 4-3? He said he did. Comment. He said he did. It's a line of <laughs> what he is. He keep on, keep on reloading on that defense. He I mean, he, he's a hell of a de- developmental coach. I'll give him that. I'm I, inventing the the attacking four three though. I I will not pass that on to him. No, I just want to beat him. That's all I want. I just want to win, man. He can we, I can y'all can him? admit. Y'all can admit. Everybody <laughs> on our schedule. Beating him is fun because. That man gets so pissed off. I remember in Lane, last time me and Brian were there, 2019, we were on, we were, we were in stands across from him. You could just see him like upset the whole game because they couldn't move the ball in the rain. We scored early. He knew he had no chance, and he just was cursing the rest the whole time. Like he is the funnest guy to watch because as an opposing fan, it's like when you beat them, it's it, it's like no one's fault but the referees. Not well, his remember- fault. Well, remember he uh, he was bragging heading in. He's like, you know, we played the white out at Penn State, we didn't and, and we didn't start. jump off sides. We're not going to jump off sides in uh, in lane and what first three series, times? yeah, second, first series, first and, series, second. And I think it was three, three total the whole total. Uh, the whole yeah. the whole game. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was fun. Oh, that was so fun. That was so fun. You were in school then, man. Gosh, I, oh, <laughs> dude, the, I remember that game. Uh, yeah, I was working. I was working that one. That was so much fun. So what caught your eye, Sheldon? I mean, you've read, you know, we know you're our data guy. So looking through the magazine, anything you agree, don't agree with, kind of see where he's leaning to when it comes to Hokies opponents? Um, I don't know if there's anything I disagreed with uh, too much. I actually, I will say one point of agreement. Um, I don't know how Purdue won the, their division this year. They were eight and six. The metrics didn't like them that much. I know tech fans kind of look at Purdue and say like, oh, you know, that's a, you know, reigning division champion, like got to watch out. I mean, you know, they've, they're, they were okay last year. They're getting a new head coach. I think that's a pretty winnable game. Um, Cause I know that some tech fans are kind of worried about that one. Um, so I would agree with him that, you know, Purdue's a team that's a little bit, it was a little bit of a flash in the pan last year. Yeah, it was. And in, in the, but, but the big 10 West was dreadful last year. I mean, Iowa, like we talk about our offense, the Iowa mm-hmm. offense last year was, Oh my god! Like we might, if we would have had the Iowa offense, we might not have won a game last year. Well, at least we <laughs> had mean, some explosive plays. Like we had, we had some explosive plays here they and there that nothing kind of buoyed nothing. us a little bit here or there. Like the problem with us last year is that if it wasn't an explosive play, we weren't doing shit. Yeah, but, but here's the thing that Brett said that I, I, I this is where I wish we'd have had him for 20 more minutes. He was talking about like the West Virginia blowout and a couple blowouts. Y'all, we watched it. West Virginia was a game literally until the early part of the fourth quarter. It won't like yep. they took us behind the shed in the first half and the game was over. That was a 16-10 game walking to the fourth. The, 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 that was our cornerbacks. Uh, we had two, and, and uh, they were gassed <laughs> by the mid-third mid quarter. So, big disagreement there. The pit game, which people look at as, oh, you got blown out. Y'all know about the pit game. Y'all know the, the pass was over the that. middle. We were going to fumble. And then Abaconda. But I'm this when it comes to Pitt. You look at them. Pitt's one of these people like, Sheldon, you watch their development, right? But they're never like this. They're good, and then they have the dips. 
they haven't had a significant dip since 2018. They've been 38, 20. They had the elite defense last year. They were in the 20s last year. Is this the year they regress back down into the middle of the pack with the defense? Because it happens. It happens to just about everybody unless you are getting elite talent consistently. I think it's possible. I mean, like I said, obviously depending on, you know, Jerkovic's health, um, you know, anything can happen there. I mean, they, they've been, they've been, you know, I would say the second best team in the ACC outside of Clemson the past, you know, three or so years. Oh yeah. Um, Narduzzi typically, I mean, he usually maximizes the talent that he has not so much offensively always, but like you said, usually when you recruit at kind of like that mid range, like 35 to 40 level, you're going to, you know, fall back to earth eventually. And I think going nine for last year, 11 through the year before that, it's highly possible that they're they're due for regression, maybe just kind of some stumbles. Um, but still, there's no reason to think that they won't be at least, you know, as, at the bare minimum, I think a seven-win team because that's really what they've oh, been yeah. the past five seasons. Yeah, yeah, I don't think they're going to fall off the map. I think their defense might drop just enough where there'll be kind of that average middle-of-the-pack ACC team, kind of that 6-7 range and not in the 3-4 range that we've seen the last three years. Right, what about you, Tyler? You've got, you got to have you got to have something to say. You always got something to say. I just the only thing that get that I I can say I disagree with when he talks about the uh, which he he touched on it a little bit when when I asked him the offensive starter or the offensive uh, transfers. Um, I just feel like it's a much different offense than we had last year, and with all the games that you guys are talking about, um, we had a chance in a lot of those games. Whether it was uh, the coaching just wasn't where it needed to be whether it was a playmaker who wasn't there that when we needed them, whether it was quarterback play, it may have been one or two things, but we were in a lot of those games and I feel like we brought some people in that can push us over the hump to win a couple of those games. Cause if we do win three of those games last year or four, however many, yeah. um, you know, it's a, we, we have a much different discussion of what year two looks like. So y'all know how I feel about this year. I've been saying you know- it. Before any uh, uh, um, depth charts drop, before I seen anybody in pads, I got a good feeling about this year. What my good feeling is? Hell, I don't know. <laughs> I just, I just think it's gonna be better than, better than we've seen. I think we're gonna make a bowl game. So, I think what you see, Tally, is and probably and we all see it and we all look at it is year one there was not much roster turnover. Mm-hmm. Year two, it has been a a ton of roster turnover, including those three guys right there coming on. Um, and again, I, I respect Brett because Brett looks at the, he doesn't lean that much into the portal stuff because right. to his point, they produced here. Can they produce here? So he doesn't, it's not like the big metric because if you take a look at the way it's kind of shaped out, we had a good transfer class, not a great, right. but I think the way he shapes it is, it's almost like doing an unknown commodity, right? Oh, yeah. I don't yeah. know what Ollie Jennings is going to be like on Virginia Tech, what Jalen Lane um, yeah. is going to look like. And he, and he gave us some good credit for, for Jennings, obviously, but I think oh, yeah. it's more of – there. yeah, there's, there's a lot of potential with what Drones can do being a former four-star coming in if he wins a starting job. There's a lot of potential what Tudin can do if, he, if what he did at NCA&T translates to Blacksburg. You know, same with Feld and same with Lane. So when you when you look at those pieces, there's a lot of potential there that could be realized. 
um, and, and or it could be more middle of the pack. So th- that's the question. I mean, when is, you, is, when you, is it yeah, going to be middle of the pack about, or is it going to you know, level us up a little bit? When you think about everything, nothing's guaranteed. When you talk about right. transfers, you can have somebody that was starting at Alabama but gets in trouble and then goes to, I don't know, Tennessee and could be a totally different player. You know, so when you talk about, well, you know, it's a sure thing. It's never a sure thing. It just comes down to whoever's writing the article, do they trust the coach that has the player? So I think with our coaching staff, it's a lot of unknown. So people like Brett, people like in the college landscape just don't know what pride in the staff can do, you know, just on the field. Now we're saying the right things. We're recruiting pretty good. Um, me, myself, I think they're going to be fine. I think, again, I, I'm pretty optimistic about this year. I think that, um, again, none of this matters till we hit the field. But from what I see, I think that it's it, it, we're going to take a take a step forward. So I hope I'm right. I can't handle another year like last year. <laughs> yeah. Also, regarding uh, Curtis's point about the roster turnover, I was running the numbers today and found that uh, Virginia Tech has turned over – 40% of their scholarship roster from last year. Jesus. So, I mean, that kind of shows you – that kind of shows you what the coaches thought about the talent level last year. Mm. Uh, and, that is uh, a uh, – <laughs> yes. And uh, credit to uh, credit to our friend Pete B on Virginia Tech Twitter for this one. I think we had 26 portal entrants last uh, this offseason. Uh-huh. Only four of them went to Power 5 schools. So that was, you know, like what we're getting rid of, like we're not losing, we're not losing that much. It's one of those things. And that was a big point. It was four guys who went, it was, uh, what Cincinnati, uh, UNC. Yeah. Uh, Kent state is where, who's the fourth. Um, Caleb Smith, but he retired. retired. Yeah. So really three legitimate and that does, and, and it's a great point, Sheldon. You talk about the turnover, but it's who you moved out. And it's something we hear Brent Pry preach all the time. I need competition. I need guys who are going to compete. And Tally, Brian, y'all both played at a collegiate level. Demand you across from in school who you're practicing it's every day. If it's a if it's a pushover, there's no challenge for you, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, you. I mean, you hear all the stories. Anybody, even if you don't, if you never played sports, you hear about. Oh, this person ran scout team and he was amazing and he did this and he had a great look like it makes a difference just, you know, for the the practice competition that you see, you know, if you have a quarterback that can imitate, I don't know, Michael Vick, which was, of course, would be hard. But if you're going up against a quarterback like that and you're able to imitate it like it's a it's a big deal. So um, I just don't think that we had enough players that could have a significant you know, peace on the team last year. But this year, I think it's going to be a little different. Oh, Brian, Brian's favorite point just got brought up by Jim West VT. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I, I talk about it a lot. He he makes the point here. He doesn't think that uh, Tyler Bowen and Rudolph mix very well. You know, you could throw Brad Glenn in that as well, Mm -hmm. uh, if we're being honest. I think there were way too many cooks in the kitchen last year as far as what what we needed to do, how we needed to do it. Um, You know, we saw some – you know, heavy into what Rudolph has traditionally ran to start the season. And then as we got further into it, it looked like there was some of Bowen's hand on it, some of Glenn's hand on it. Like, you know, you hear whispers here and there about who's doing what, who's calling what. Like, it's – I think it was just too many guys that had experience being an offensive coordinator 
in there with a guy that was doing it for the first time, even though his name, was the, the, the title next to him is offensive coordinator. So right. I, I think it's going to be some addition by subtraction in that front where, you know, the philosophy is going to be consistent and the philosophy is going to be filtered down from, from one individual to the rest of the, the, uh, the coaches on that offensive side of the ball unless people in, uh, in Bowen's ear um, as the year goes along. 100%. All right, we got some more hokey stuff to talk, but I, I do want to kind of flip and talk about this. Brett mentioned at the beginning sort of a nostalgia year, and it effectively is the death of the Pac-12 with Oregon and Washington heading to the Big Ten, Colorado, which was the first uh, domino to fall, Arizona, Utah and Arizona start all heading to the Pac-12. And it's really funny because me and Tally, me and Tally talked a few minutes yesterday, is like, okay, the Big East died. Okay, Big East was around from 1991. Literally, us growing up, and Sheldon, you're a little bit younger than us, so I know it's going to hit a little bit different. But for me, Brian and, and Jonathan here and Tally here, the Pac-12 had been literally a part of our life. Like, remember, eight or nine years old, they they yeah. show like UCLA in the Rose Bowl or USC, and that's gone. It's gone. We're never going to see that again. Um, and just what are y'all's thoughts? And whoever wants to lead, lead. What are your thoughts about what this realignment's going through in general with this happening? I mean, I think yeah. it's. It's bittersweet here a little bit. You know, the Pac-12 has been around, what, 100 years, over 100 years. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's not it's not a flash-in-the-pan conference or kind of a mix-and-match. It's something that has had some sort of core group for a very long period of time. Um, so from that front, it's a little sad. Um, but, you know, this is something I think everyone saw coming, especially once – um, you see the, the last round of, of realignment started, uh, you know, once you, once you lose kind of an anchor piece, like USC, the writing is on the wall. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I think it's going to be all right. Um, I, I'm, I'm more worried now about where the Hokies can land in all of this than about what saving college football or whatever that means. Like, I just want to make sure that the Hokies stay relevant. That's really the only thing I care about at this point. Well, I care about two things. I care about the Hokies remaining relevant and give me this damn NCAA football game. (laughs) (laughs) So I can go build my own team and put them where I want them to be and win some championships. So EA Sports, stop pushing it back. Let's get it right. Pay whoever you got to pay. So I can get on the game and kick Seagull's ass. <laughs> Sheldon, what we'll you see. got, man? What do you got, Sheldon? I know you had some thoughts about this in general. Yeah, look, I mean, for me, it's all about perspective, right? You mentioned how, you know, I, I'm i a lot younger than you guys, so the cultural I experienced was different from the cultural you guys experienced, right? Like, yep. I did not grow up with the Southwest Conference, and so because of that, I don't really care about the Southwest, Southwest Conference. But, you know, that ended in the 90s. And now we're seeing the Pac-12 probably going to fold pretty soon. I think the nature of college sports is change. And Mm -hmm. I think sometimes people have a hard time accepting it. That's not to say that what's happening right now in college football is necessarily for the better. But it uh, it, change has been the nature of of college sports forever. And people have always talked about, you know, the influence of money. It's all about the TV ratings. There's no there's no heart in the game anymore. I mean, people have been saying this stuff for decades. 
Um, you know, if you go back deep enough, uh, even in even in the 1930s, believe it or not. So I just I, I try to have perspective. At the end of the day, the question I ask myself is one: Will there be football in 2024? Yes. And two: Will I be rooting for Virginia Tech in 2024? Also, yes. So with that in mind, like I'm just I'm still going to go to the games. I'm still going to watch football. I'm still going to you know go to PKs with my friends afterwards. So <laughs> I just I try to, I try to have perspective and realize that you know it's not going anywhere. I personally think college football will be fine. It's going to look a lot different. I have no idea what's going to happen in the next five or six years, but it's still football, and we love now, that. Now yeah. I got a question for you, Sheldon. This is on a, a little bit of a different level, a little, little pivot here for you. Because we know you know a lot of people, man. You know, we're we definitely happy you're on the show. We know you know a lot of people. We know you work a lot of different places. But you're pretty, you pretty – you know some cool guys on on uh, on Twitter, or what are we calling it, X now? X. Uh, you know Twitter. some cool guys on there. And um, <laughs> a, a certain account that you know is really, really good – at making uh, memes and, and, and different videos and things like that. So I'm wondering, do you have you talked to that that account or that gentleman or lady uh, about some of this conference realignment and have some of those videos and stuff queued up yet? Nope, I plead the fifth. <laughs> All okay. Right. All right. He's pleading the fifth, and that's going to go no further concerning the death of the Pac-12. But let's talk about this. It came out yesterday and today. ACC potentially adding Stanford, Cal, and SMU. Don't. If y'all can hear from my voice, <laughs> I'm not very excited about that at all um, because they screwed the pooch when if you actually would have attempted to go after brand names, more known names, teams that have been in the Rose Bowl in the last few years, the Nike team, one of the, you know, Washington who has a 75,000-seat <laughs> stadium, you might could have renegotiated your contract to something actually viable. And and I sit here, I think we speak a year from today because, you know, I I can't remember who it was exactly, but somebody out there put up that if you're going to leave a conference, the ACGs particular, the 15th of August, you have to be advising. I don't think that's coming this year. But in my opinion, I think realignment's going to happen again. I think the ACC is dead in a year. And I mean dead – Effectively, there's a date set when multiple teams are leaving. What about y'all? I mean, let 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 me circle back real quick on the on the Stanford Cal SMU. Oh yeah, you start that. We did an episode called "Loose Partnership" after the Pac-12 and ACC and all of that came out uh-huh. um, after the last round of realignment, uh-huh. and we said. This loose partnership isn't gonna mean shit. They're gonna there's gonna be teams that jump, and that's that's the only thing that's gonna matter. Then we saw USC and uh, and UCLA jump. So um, the loose partnership was always dumb. We said at the time, if, if you're gonna do something like that, you need to go ahead and merge the two conferences, and that's what sh- probably should have happened at that time if you wanted some form of the Pac-12 and ACC so, to survive in the next five years. That being said, I don't think the ACC is dead in a year. Um, But if they lose FSU and they lose Clemson, they are going to be on life support. All right. So whatever, whatever you take of that, that that's where we are. So if that is the thing that precipitates another six teams that jump ship, then yes, the ACC will be dead, but I think they're going to unfortunately hang on 
for a little bit longer after that. And I'm hoping that we're one of the next round that gets out if FSU and Clemson jump ship in the next year. Sheldon? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where where Florida State could go because, like, I don't I don't know if the SEC wants to expand more, and they also have the ESPN contract, so they'd essentially be negotiating against themselves for the for the payout. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, I've kind of flip flip flopped on this a little bit. Part of me thinks like it's impossible to get out of the GOR because of how, the absurd amount it cost, but also part of me thinks that um, the state of Florida is going to have some judge that can just lure their way out of it. Um, and kind of give FSU a free pass, which, given the state of Florida, would not really surprise me. Um, so, yeah, there's going to be a lot of politics in this. But like I said, I just don't. I've I've flipped out both ways, and I just don't really have a a clear opinion at this point. I'm kind of the same way. I mean, I don't really have a clear opinion. I know that the ACC talking about adding Stanford and Cal is probably stupid, because I mean, just thinking about travel time and other stuff like that, like that's that's just not a good fit. So I don't know. It, well, but it, it gives it's, us an it's excuse. Not worth, it's not worth the bump to yeah. also factor in what you said, the additional travel time and everything else, and probably having to kill at least one or two non-rev sports to accommodate that. That's right. true. Well, the only upside would be, you know, excuses to stay up to t- like 2 in the morning on Saturdays if when Tech's out yeah. left. I'm a, I'm I, a I'll be up fan. till two. Yeah, I had to sleep in like, tomorrow. Yeah, I'm a Laker fan, so I watch games late at night hey, anyway, so and I'm very disappointed while watching them. So I'm used to that. But um, when I think about it, you know, you think about just say I don't know, freaking softball or baseball having a game on a Wednesday uh, in California, like what is it, Palo Alto or something? Palo Alto. Like, how do you how do you do that? How do you how do you make that work? I'm not the guy that. Knows how to fix that, but how do you make it work? That's all football. They don't. It, no other sport matters. Nope. Uh, see what Jim's got here again. Cal Stanford SMU to keep the association with Notre Dame. With ESPN, I can't see them pushing for an ES the the SEC ACC merger um, mm-hmm. since they merged their property. Uh, yeah, I, I don't see the first one makes sense. Makes a lot of logical sense. The second one doesn't make sense to me. But but the issue is this. And we talk about GOR, and Sheldon, you brought up they can't get out of the GR. There's one way the GRR ends if the conference devolves. You need eight. And if it's not if, the SEC is going to expand because eventually the Big Ten numbers are going to get up to 15, 20 million more. Tally you down in SEC country. They ain't the biggest fan of being the second most paid conference. Uh, not at that's all. gonna happen when when that shifts there's gonna be four that goes to the south there's gonna be two that go up north and there's gonna be two that goes out west and they're gonna come in and say we call for a vote of disillusionment they're gonna dissolve the conference there is no acc there is no grant of rights i'm to brian you said it the other day we're guaranteed a landing spot but i think we all want it to be one of the better landing spots and not the big 12. I just yeah, want to I mean, land somewhere so we can win ten games or win a. I mean, put me in the Sun Belt so we can no. win the championship. Put me in no. there. I mean, we going to no. a bigger. We going to a bigger uh, playoff, right? We going to a bigger playoff. We going to a bigger playoff, Let's but they're, pro- they're probably going to renegotiate how. Me and Curtis had talked about. I don't want to go. I don't <laughs> want to go to the Sun Belt. I'm joking around. Okay, about that. make but, sure you're joking. About <laughs> that. But I'm, I, I, I just. It's so much being thrown around right now. So many people are like up in arms about it. It's just like, I'm, 
the hear what Shelton says is kind of how I am. It's like, am I gonna watch football if it's being played? I yes. Am. Yeah. Am I gonna be rooting for the Hokies? Yes. Yes. Like that's all I really know right now. All the other stuff, shit, I don't know what they're gonna do. I don't either, but I sit here, I like to speculate, I like to talk. I also want to con- I want us to be in a conference that's getting paid because we joke about the Sun Belt. You imagine getting twenty million dollars a year? Hey, now go compete. Go compete. There's twenty million. You won't get no recruits. Huh? You better you better have some good development. The conference you're recruiting again is getting five times that or four exactly. times that. And and I think that's where the issue lies. And I think me and Brian discussed uh Friday, we had a little phone call. And let me tell you what the playoff they go I think they go to twenty four. I think they go to twenty four. And then they look and say, We're gonna have three divisions or we're gonna have four divisions. You win a division in the Big Ten or the SEC, you get in the playoff. We'll figure out the other ones in a few in a few years. Yeah. Something crazy like that. I wouldn't doubt it. All right. Let's flip it over. Let's actually talk some fun stuff, Hokie-wise here, boys. Let's talk about a couple commitments. Let's start with the offensive tackle out of Macon, Georgia. Webb Davidson, six foot six, two hundred and ninety pounds, three star rated by two four seven. Uh Brian, y'all who had a chance to look at him, what do y'all think of him? Um, I have not had much to dive into this kid yet. Not a lot of tape out there that I can find, but, I mean, I love mm-hmm. the size, 6'6", 291. I mean, it's hard to argue with that as a tackle coming in. Um, that's a power five build. Um, we talked about it the other day. I mean, if you got a guy with that type of size, he's got some of the athletic traits, I think you could get something out of that guy. So, um, like the pickup, I mean, it's not not a flashy rating in terms of the, uh, the recruiting um, sites out there, but – Solid power five rating for a, for a tackle, and with that size, I think we can work with him. Yeah, and he's been uh apparently he's got something that they like, you know, that probably Crook likes because uh, all of us who follow recruiting have heard his name for a little bit of time. Uh, there's been a lot of other names thrown out, and you know, I guess they didn't move on him or they weren't moved by him. Um, but this guy, we heard about him a little while ago, and they uh they made sure to. to keep him in the fold so that is that is uh again good size I, I haven't watched like brian said much film on him there's not much film out there but um he, he's bmf he is and if, if you look if you want to know how big he is take a look at the picture it's on 247 he's standing next to 75 i think that's a kid out of christiansburg who's mm-hmm. like legitimately six eight yeah. Um, and he 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 right there, just about out of out of with him. Mm-hmm. All right, let's talk about the one nobody saw coming. I didn't see it. Y'all didn't see it until it literally dropped. We're going back to Texas, boys. We're going back to Texas. <laughs> Texas to VT. Texas to VP. Out of Fort Worth, Texas, Keldon Ryan, six foot one, hundred ninety five pound quarterback, and eighty six with offers from Arkansas, Baylor. Miami, Oklahoma State, Pitt, Penn State. Guy's got a lot of offers to be a mid three. I know the well, the the comments are he was playing at a very bad school. Yeah. And he's effectively transferred to a better school. I mean, it if you watch a little bit, I think I've seen a little bit of highlights and a little bit of working out and stuff. Um when you see an offer list like that, because you can't just say of course, like ratings do matter. People say they don't. They do. Ratings matter. Um, but when you see an offer list like that and then you see the rating, it just doesn't match up. 
But then when you watch like a little bit of his tape and what he's good at and what he does, you say, okay, shit, I see. I can see a coach going to watch somebody else play and see him and be like, who the hell is that? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Which is probably how it happened. Um, or he started camping late. Uh, is why he doesn't have a bigger bump in the in the ratings. But again, he's a 2025 kid. He's got a long time. You know, mm. he's got a long time to to get more offers, to get bigger, faster, stronger, uh, to also you know get a bump in in, in ratings. So I'll be interested to see. I, I haven't dug into it a lot to see. Like, yeah, that's our quarterback of the future. But I'll be interested to see kind of how his progression goes. Absolutely. All right, so I'm, I'm going to say it. This guy is Pop Watson's skill set, but he's got much bigger size coming out of the high school. He's already yeah. 6'1", right. almost 200. Yeah, two um, more years, yeah, too. Going, in, going into his junior year high school. So what you're so, saying is potentially Pop skill set, potentially Drone's body. Yeah, in somewhere, somewhere in that ballpark. Yeah, so – that that's kind of what I'd like to see. And he really jumped off on tape. Um, obviously he was playing on a team that wasn't very well. I don't know what the competition level was relative to that as well. I'm interested to see now that he's in a, on a better team in a better conference in a better district down there, you know, how, how his junior year shapes out. Cause if he goes out there and has a big junior year, I'm you're going to see a bump to a four star guarantee. Oh yeah. Did you see the, did y'all see the video of him working out in the Virginia tech shirt? Yeah. That was back yeah. in like April. Yeah, so apparently they've been on him for a while, uh, but him working out in that Virginia Tech shirt just again when you when you're I don't put a lot into like people working out or seven on seven stuff. For me, I'd rather see you in pads. But for a quarterback, just to see can he throw, like he's got some good mechanics and he can he can spin the ball. So it was good to see that. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so a couple more commits there. We've obviously got a few more. Places in the boat left. Obviously, I don't have this on the rundown, but I'm sure y'all saw it. Our buddy in Roanoke, our music man, Jason, actually texted to me and Brian this morning at 6.30. Chris Cole set to commit September 10th, um, the day after the Purdue game. Um, We'll see how that goes. But let's talk about a few other things in camp. We're going to talk about a couple position battles as well. But I want to mention something that I listened to Coach Pry's interview last Thursday, the first one. And he mentioned they changed it up. Something he shared with us that basically always evaluating, always looking to do things different, how they shape and shift things. And he mentioned for this particular fall camp, they're doing effectively five mini camps. Three on, one off. Tally, Siegler, y'all went through college camps. Tell me what y'all like about this concept and what y'all hate about this concept of three and ones up until um, – up until uh, the twenty, the week of the twentieth. For me, I think he's uh, uh, they're trying to find ways to keep people healthy, you know, because you're just getting uh, a roster that I can say you you semi trust, uh, and you got a lot of new guys in there. So I think they're trying. I seen them, which every college does ice baths and stuff like that. But uh, probably talked about some of the guys not playing when he was on with us talking about some of them not playing in the spring game. And you hate to see somebody go down, uh, in a game like that, or even in fall practice. So I think that they're just trying to maneuver to, um, to make sure that we have as much camaraderie as possible, but as little injuries as possible. I think that's where you're getting three days on the field, one day off, and then 
uh, so on and so forth. Uh, but when you say what don't you like about it, it's just the fear of the unknown for the most part. Like you, if you've never done that and you've never seen it, of course you're going to be kind of skeptical if something goes wrong. It's like, are we missing time? You need to get as many practices in as possible. Uh, are we missing this? So just things like that. But um, hopefully it works out and we see a big jump as far as production on the field. Yeah, I mean, looking at it for me, it's, uh, you know, the positive is going to be keeping healthy, keeping fresh, having fresh legs for longer stretches of those full padded practice, those shell practices. Um, I think that's that's going to be the biggest benefit. Um, looking at it on the flip side, what I could see being somewhat problematic is maybe we got a lot of new guys coming in, um, both freshmen and the transfers. Sometimes when you get into a practice routine, you get into a rhythm. And I don't know if like a day off might throw off some of the rhythm and potentially, you know, disrupt some of that uh, progress that some of those younger guys or some of those newer guys are making within the new schemes. Sheldon, anything just obviously you we were around the program for years, you've known it for years, you follow sports in general, any feels on this? No, it's hard to say because I never really uh... – Lace them up, put them in the pads. But, um, I mean, I like what, what Brent Price is kind of talking about as far as, like, you know, just trying to find some sort of, um, I guess, identity. I know his press conference today, he kind of talked about those five principles, um, you know, things like accountability, leadership. And I think he's done a good job of an identity that isn't just, like, a, a chalkboard slogan, but actually kind of putting into practice. And you can kind of see that, like, when he said, um, you know, when he first got here, like, guys were okay with losing reps guys are okay teams were okay with with losing battles like that type of stuff i mean you know that's that's the stuff that's the type of culture building where you can kind of see it happen um so just to see those things kind of put into practice put into practice is uh, is pretty good to see now will it translate to wins you know sooner or later we'll see but i just i really like the way he's kind of gone about it and i think he's really good at managing perception and uh i i think just getting the fan base excited and, and having things to kind of look for so he's definitely in terms of the pr game he's a 10 out of 10 right there Always I, feel, I feel like the culture under fuente was like it was it was good enough like it, it wasn't winning every rep it was we're good enough and it can't be that we're, way. we're getting by um so i mean i feel like you know winning every rep the competition that he's brought is definitely i think improved the culture um, around the program. And I think we're seeing that, uh, Thomas train actually, uh, he, he, I, there was the, uh, comment yeah. that I threw on there. He talked about better evaluation, doing it every third day. Yeah. That's a really good point. It that's is a really good point because you actually have a day where you can really sit and focus on breaking down some of that practice tape, seeing yeah. what, you know, you, you, you see it on the field obviously, but you get a little bit more time to really truly dig into that practice tape and evaluate and maybe even shuffle things a little bit as far as whether it's um, how you want to practice the next day or next set of days, um, how you want to do the rotations. So there's so much that you can really glean from that by doing um, three on one off. So that's a good point. I'm going to put this up here. Jim just put it up here and probably actually mentioned it today. This was something their sports science uh, individual mentioned that going to this would be better. And I think, again, y'all went through that stuff. Three and one, I'm sure y'all, you get to a limit at a certain point where it's just like, I can't do anymore. Or it's, Brian, y'all y'all play, again, y'all are on the lines. I'm losing technique now. I'm losing my technique. So 
know. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 my, my fall camp was three a days for the first two weeks. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, even like my son's thirteen, and watching him, he's uh, playing football this year. He's in eighth grade. So even watching how they practice compared to how we practice coming up and things like that is much different. I see you, Dwight. Thank you for your comment, man. We're gonna we'll see you next week. We're gonna get your perspective on this stuff as well. But even yeah. somebody like Dwight could come on and talk about how um I think he 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 put a tweet up a little bit talking about two a days or um somebody asked him could they take the helmet off or something crazy like that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, at my son's practice, they were running routes with the helmets off. You know, like when I was coming up, you didn't take your helmet off when you took when you stepped on the field. It was just different things. And the coach said, I'm trying to keep them cooler. You know, you got so many people like Shelton that pay a lit attention to analytics and they get paid a lot of money to make sure people don't get hurt. I guess one parent, they asked me, have you seen the collar? They make some kind of collar that's supposed to help with you not getting concussions or something. I, I don't know. I haven't yeah. seen it. But I'm just saying there's so much stuff out there. That yeah, of course we're gonna see stuff different, and that's kind of why I said on my point, it's just the unknown. You know what I'm saying? I haven't, I've never seen it done that way, so I don't. I ain't gonna say I love it because I don't know. We bring back the cowboy collars. Older, no, it ain't a cowboy collar though. It's not <laughs> that. It's it, it's something that looks kind of like a. Have you ever seen somebody put on the earphones that go around the neck? Yeah, yeah. So the earphones that go around your neck, it looks like that. It's a Hans um, device now. <laughs> I don't know. I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna look it up and I'm gonna, I'm gonna send gonna it to y'all it. in the chat. Yeah. All right. You search it because I'm gonna ask y'all another thing I liked about it, and I wonder if this is what did to it. Prime mentioned. Um, I don't know about that. If somebody more educated, it, it, it's it's the Skelly helmets that we just actually have them that look like they look good. They they look like our helmets, just like on top of it instead of the more just. You know the rough padded ones that a lot of other places have. I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw Jim's off here. I'm gonna put Dwight's up. Yeah, as long as we're more mentally tough during the games, I have no issue with it. The other reason I like this, and I'm wondering if this fed into that um, about the schedule was Prime mentioned they're actually going to do a full game week before they do a full game week with ODU. And I'm wondering if, again, we know there are certain rules with the NCAA of how much you can practice. And I'm wondering by chopping it up like this, by giving these guys probably five days off going up to that last week, okay, when we get to the 20th, you know what we're able to do? Because the way we spread our days, we can go a full week. We can do our normal practice routines. We can go through everything. We can go to the Roanoke Hotel Roanoke on Friday night and almost have like that full game week where they're really – Focus. This is what we're going to do. Here's a practice version. I wonder if that had to do something with it. Um, and if anybody knows the exact limitation, I know there's a limitation number of practices and days off you've got to have. I wonder if that was another reason behind it. Because I, for anybody, it's it's like prepping for something. You get a chance to do a run-through, and it actually doesn't count it's going to help because you're going to be mentally ready to be like, oh, I screwed that up last week during this portion of practice. I'm not screwing right. that up this week. All right, a couple other things, and this is offensive line. We're not going to talk about it on the depth chart. But if you heard Clements talk, first of all, Clements is just funny to listen to, just the way he talks with his South Carolina accent. <laughs> Talking about Chaplin and Littlemore just literally going out there and giving everything every day. He's like, he's like, dude, they're, they're, he literally said, he's like, they're going out there like this is their last day they're ever going to play football. 
which I love to hear, especially from two young guys. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's big that, that Parker's kind of taking more of a leadership role this year. Um, you know, when we had Caden on, he talked a little bit about it too. So um, those two are going to be the de facto leaders on that unit this year. Um, so it's going to be big for him to, to take on a leadership role. And I like that he's – when he's he's got the spotlight, he's highlighted other guys. I like that. I like that. That that that's a that's a good a quality of an offensive lineman right there. Um, when you get the spotlight, you're you're highlighting the other guys around you. So that, that that's big to me. Um, and I love hearing it about about Chaplin and Moore because that's we're gonna need those two to step up and hold down that left side of the line. I mean, especially with some of the news we got, you know, a little bit of a, a little bit ago, um, you know, about Jesse Hansen. Uh, so we got less depth on that offensive line. So yep. it's going to be big that those guys play a big role this year. Was yeah, that Chaplin Was that Chaplin going against Powell in that uh That was. That yeah, that, that spin was move was pretty sick, man. <laughs> Chaplin, you better keep going out there and attacking every day. When you see somebody like that lined up across from you, Jesus Christ. But how many of those that spin you move, see? you got to drive through it, man. You can't sit man. back on the spin move. Beautiful yeah, he, spin move. He got absolutely smoked there. Uh, anything on the offensive line, Shelton? that you're seeing here and yeah i mean i was just kind of looking at the numbers you know hansen surprisingly enough not a guy that people really associate as being like a stalwart of the offensive line he was actually tech's highest graded offensive lineman last year according to pff now it was about league average so it wasn't you know too big of a thing but um losing him definitely hurts the depth um and you got jansy gone as well jordan too i feel like obviously with parker we didn't know that at the time but obviously he was injured last year couldn't really lift and obviously that kind of had a huge, huge impact on his play. So I think he's going to have a positive um, improvement this year. Same with Moore. Those two guys, they were so good as freshmen, but just fell off a cliff last year. Yeah, I yeah. think they'll get back to it. I think we really need Parker. Parker to me is the most important player in this, on this O-line, especially because of the lack of you know overall tackle depth. So it's going it's to be a little bit thin, but I, I feel better about the, uh, the, the right side uh, than, I do, uh, than I did about last, last year's team for sure. Nice, nice. All right, well, let's talk about some other depth stuff we're hearing. You know, we saw – we'll shout him out, David Cunningham, uh, g- going out there, busting it at practice, trying to put depth charts together. And, you know, it's 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 by law. Tally knows this. Tally had to talk to Toast Fry about it. By law. Got hmm. called quarterback. It's cliche. I know. But it's been told. It's been said. Wells and drones, each having times with the ones, rotating days effectively. But here's what I'll ask you. August 22nd, boys, and we'll start with Shelton. August 22nd, that bonus week, that week we're going to go into prepping. We'll probably announce a starter on the 22nd because there will be a media day that day. I think so. I mean, I think he he did it. He definitely did it earlier than Fuente did uh, last year. It's my understanding. Um, So, yeah, I think he's – because I know with, with like, Fuente, it was kind of like – you know, he, he wanted to wait to the absolute last possible minute. And then when he did make the announcement, it was like, you know, in a hushed tone. It's like, okay, let's just move on. I think Prize taking a little bit more pride, kind of making the announcement, having it be like, okay, this is our guy. So, yeah, I would say that media conference is probably going to be the time that he does it. All right. He, he says 22nd, we're announced. Tally? I don't know, man. I, I was kind of on the fence about it when we talked about it. Um, I said I could see it kind of lingering on just to kind of throw some, uh, we don't know who's up on that first game. Um, and then giving Purdue a little bit less to know 
of who's going to do it. But I think Pry, kind of what Sheldon said, though, man, I mean, with us knowing Pry and we've talked to him, uh, I feel like he is too candid of a guy to hold something like that, and that's one of the things that the fan base, like, longs for. So, yeah, I think he's going to announce somebody about that time. I think it's going to depend. Um, and I think it's going to depend on the, the the trend because I think we know that from a grass of the offense perspective, Wells is ahead of drones at this point. He was in the spring. I think he still is at this point. Is he seeing enough practice to practice with drones picking things up where he's not quite ready by August 22nd? That's my only question. Um, I, I could see him playing some gamesmanship with Purdue and ODU, but when we really go back and look at it, there's not a lot of tape out there on drones that's really going to you know, waste hours of ODU and, and Purdue's um, coaches spending time bringing down tape. There's not enough out there for them to really justify that. And any smart coach is already going to have a scout team um, – quarterback that can that can run and do the things that drones is at least running a handful of plays in that practice anyway so um, i don't think there's any gamesmanship there but like i said my question is how is the battle trending is it starting to trend where you know it's ratcheting up every week in terms of the grass of the offense and if there is you know you might give one last week um to, to let let drones prove himself to see if he can take that role if if he's not making that progress then i think you go ahead and name it for wells at that point yeah, I, well, I think I think you're, y'all are right. Um, I think it's announced that week, but I think there's going to be a caveat in it, regardless who it is. I think if it is Grant Wells, there's going to be the caveat of we have to take advantage of Kyron Drones' athleticism, his ability to run the ball. He's going to be used. If it's Drones, we're going to be dependent on Grant to be helping Kyron. We got to depend on him to be ready if something happens to go in and play immediately. So he's on caveat where he's not basically burying like that's our guy. I don't care what happens one way or the other, but I think it has to be that week because I think what that does, it puts a firm stamp on who we are as a team. And I feel like talking with Brent Pry, um, like we have, he's that sort of person. He wants to, I'm going to tell the team and I'm going to tell them who it is. And I'm going to go out here and tell the public and we're going to be strong. We're going to go forward like that. So I, I feel like we do know, um, but who knows? He might throw us a curveball. Let's talk D line. <laughs> and, and if anybody was actually shocked, y'all tell me Powell Ryland already on the ones just got here this summer. Anybody shocked? Not shocked. Nah, nah. If you're shocked, then y'all didn't see the tape, but let, yeah. let's talk this. Not so him. We've seen him on tape. We've seen his stats. We know what he is, but my feeling on the defensive line room in general is to go from average to above average, because I do think it was an average line last year with the exception of sack numbers, everything else, you know, good at creating negative plays in the run game. What's up? I was going to say sack numbers in the pit game in the pit game. That's it. (laughs) That's it. But, but my feel is two players are key. I think, Burgos is key. I loved hearing Pride talk about him today. And I think Payne's key. Because if to me, if those two guys click, you've not only got your fourth end, you've also got that guy that can go likely inside out as needed. What y'all think? Yeah, when you talk about Payne, Payne was in that clip as well. He was. And to talk about him coming back from an injury, you know, I know it's not 
you know, full full game or anything like that. But to see how he moves, man, it's good to see. You know, coming off of an injury to have another guy like that to throw in depth wise. And again, um we've got a lot of guys that can move in our big, you know. We haven't seen that a lot on our lines. We're usually going after the small twitch, you know, twitchy guys. But when you talk about Burgos or you talk about um, Rylan Powell, uh, these guys are big and physical and they can move. So um, I think we'll take a step in the defensive line. I think we have an opportunity to. You know, of course, football, you could have injuries. We don't speak that. But I think we'll take a step forward just with, with some of the some of the guys that we're plugging in. Yeah, I mean, Price said it today. He talked about Burgos being a motor guy, big motor guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and you already got a guy that's that big. If you say he's got a motor, I mean, that that's going to be somebody that's going to outwork everybody around him. Seeing him, you know, they, they said he could push for a starting spot in, in, the, in the press conference today, which, you know, perked my ears up a little <laughs> bit. But right. I, I was just hoping for Burgos to be pushing for a fourth or, or fifth spot on the on the DN position. If he's doing more than that, big then, win. Then we then we yeah. we cooking with something, fellas. Um talking about pain too. I mean we've seen flashes. He got brought up in the presser last week and this week as being somebody that's working working really good, making some progress, um pushing some guys. You know, if he can be that fourth guy in the rotation that's only leveling up the in- interior of that line as well. And with Payne being kind of a a tweener there, you could you know, get him in at certain spots on on rundowns, certain spots on passing down. So he gives a little bit of versatility across the line as well. Anything on the D-line room, Shelton? I like having Kendricks back and Pollard a lot. They were probably our two best linemen last year. If you look at stuff like pass rush win rates. Um, Nelson is a guy that is good to have back, but he's got to improve a lot. And CJ McCray also in there as well. So in terms of pass rush, a pass rush, I think it's a pretty good setup. I mean, you know, I know the run defense was kind of hit or miss, but yeah. you've got we've got some guys that can that can get to the QB. I think, and I think that's going to be and that's going to be the key this year because you know we were talking the other day. What was did you did you find the the havoc stat you were trying to find look up? For no, I didn't have the havoc stat. Yeah, I didn't have the havoc set. I just got the sack rate. I mean, we, we were bottom 30 in terms of sack rate, and I think in terms of you know preventing explosive plays. Obviously, the the run defense was was terrible in terms of explosive plays. Um, so yeah, that was that was probably the biggest thing that I, that I noticed looking at the stats. So again, it's it's and this was a solid defense last year. It was a solid defensive line. It wasn't spectacular, and I think could. And that's why we I'll go back to the gentleman we first started with. Powell Ryland is that guy that can make it spectacular because y'all seen it. If you have an edge guy, the attention shifts. Every everything about that offensive setup, Tally and Brian from both playing there, when you have that guy that can come off the edge, it can fly and can bend. Yeah. Every single person's like, Where is he? Yeah. Where is he? Quarterback's looking for him. Tackles trying to call him out. Guards trying to know where do I push, where do I kick. Tight end, Tally. I'm sure there were times you played edge guys. You're like, I don't really want to go against him. Yeah, man. It's it it all comes down to like you, like if you have the game plan for somebody on a defensive line, changes the whole game plan that your offense has. You know what I'm saying? If you have a a defensive line, I mean, and then this year is going to be big for JC because you have so many JC haters that are out there. You know, they said he couldn't recruit. 
You know, he starts getting a couple of recruits in, and then they say, well, he can't coach. So we're going to have to see can he coach, you know. Like, I think J.C.'s fine, but I'm just saying for the Virginia Tech landscape, you know, this is a big year for the defensive line. And then shifts you to another point, um, our cornerbacks. Like, your defensive line is a direct reflection of what your – they can't guard forever. You know what I'm saying? It was like a lot of times when we talk about Delane last year, him being a freshman tossed in the in the games that he may or may not have been ready for, it was it's tough to cover a long time like that, especially when you got a quarterback that's running around and they're breaking off routes and things like that. It wasn't that he just, you know, even got beat. It's just sometimes you hell, you don't you you can have perfect coverage into that last two seconds. And you're hoping that your linemen get to him and cause some kind of chaos. Had yep. we weren't doing that, so I feel like if we're if we're able to if we can't get to the quarterback if we can pressure them enough uh, where they have to throw some air throws, then our defensive backs have we have a defensive backfield that can cause some chaos as well. So if that defensive line is two steps better than last year, then I think our defense has got some cooking. Yeah, in that cornerback room, the first three are good. You got two guys who were previous freshman All-American. Actually, I think Canteen was a freshman All-American too, wasn't he? I think you're right. I think I, he was I, a freshman. I'd we have to look three, it up, but I'm pretty positive. I, I, yeah, I'm right. pretty positive he was. And, and so those guys are locked. It's all about the freshman because when I looked at D.C.'s depth chart and I started reading cornerbacks, it's like Braylon Johnson, that freshman just got there. Dante Lovett, he just got there. And then Coach mentioned Christian earlier today. It's like, and he's in prize. I love the again. It's the candidates. These guys are going to play. One of these guys is going to play a lot this year. And it's that whole he mentioned. He's like it's it's the constant developing, developing right. You know, growing pains through the first four games. But if you start getting better, games five, six, seven, and eight, you're gonna the game's gonna slow down. You're gonna be better. Um, we did. I don't want to cut you off, Curtis, no, but no, I want to say this right quick. Um, last year we did a space after the ODU game. I was livid. I was on the <laughs> ledge. No you know, way. Everybody was. Uh, it was you over. Off. You know, did Dwight but, Dwight came on and talked to you? Dwight off the ledge. came on, but you know, besides Dwight, he called some backup, and LJ came on as well, and he said, um, you know, somebody was on there and said, you know, Virginia Tech's not going to recruit well. You just lost the ODU. You have, you know. Recruits watching it, blah, blah, blah. And LJ said, this is what you have to do as a coach. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. This is what you have to do as a coach. You have to sell that. You know, you have to say, we lost a couple of games. Because when we talked earlier, we talked about games that we lost by one or two points. So one, mm-hmm. one, or we didn't have enough depth. But now you brought in some players, and, and I'm sure Pride went to him and talked to him and said, hey, if we get you here, we can use you immediately. So – you want to see some of these players get on the field and produce immediately uh, because that's just going to be another good selling point to the next crop of recruits. Uh, even the recruits that they just brought in or they're bringing in for the 2024 class, you know, that's that's what they're saying. Hey, I know I can go here and play. Hey, I know that they're building something. I can get in here and play. So um, when I seen those freshmen's names on there, you know, some people get a little nervous, but I'm like, hell, shit, we ain't got nobody in front of them. Tally had a flashback. Let's talk. Flashback. Let's talk about this real quick, though, because we, we, we talked a ton about how much the wide receiver room has flipped. But when we look at the first six in this cornerback room, one of them was in the two deep at the start of last season. That's true. Yeah. Only one. 
The cornerback room has completely flipped. It has. We had Breon Murray in our line in our QB room. No disrespect, <laughs> bro. Don't kick my ass if I ever. <laughs> we had Breon Murray in there playing significant snaps, man. It, I mean, come on. The, man. the thing is, I think with Love it, all three, and, and to me, I always lean Braylon because of who Dad and and and, and that's he's going to have that mark on him. who Dad is, where he played. I don't I, until we see it, but it's that feeling of Braylon Johnson might be the fourth one. I mean, it's just it's. I know it's lineage, and I know it's it could be that nostalgia where you want the guy who was here when it originated and his son to basically take that torch and kind of replant it and say we're back to where we were. Mm-hmm. But I'm pretty sure he started all four years at Highland Springs. They won three state titles. You know he's got it up here because his dad was that type of player. You know what's up here. So the question is, which of these, which of the, which of the three plays a ton, which gets a red shirt, and which is giving significant minutes on special teams and to give blows probably every fifth series to the upper guys when needed. It's hard. It's hard to say, man, because a lot of them are are so. I guess they're so similar as far as body sizes. They are. And and, and but, builds and things like that. But they aren't underbuilt. Right. They're all about 180, 185. Yeah. They're not yeah. underbuilt to be corners. And, right. and I mean, like That's I said, I think I talked to y'all about it. When you talk about college football, like cornerback is the – I don't want to use the word right. easiest. I don't want to use the word easiest, but it's the, it's the most likely position for a freshman to come in and be able to contribute quickly because that is – pretty much a lot of athleticism and those guys do a lot of work, you know, and they're usually getting some high level work, even in high school uh, as DBs with a lot of these trainers and stuff. But uh, you talk about quarterback, quarterback's pretty tough to go in and just be a stud lineman. Um, it's very, very rare for a lineman to come in his freshman year and have his body ready to go and have his feet ready to go and have his mind ready to go. So um I wasn't really surprised that the cornerbacks that we have are are making some noise. Uh, I'm just ready to get to it and see what they can do. I'm ready to see them in the games, man. I'm just ready to see them put it on. Put on the all-at-once jerseys, and let's go play. That's the second game. Let's go play. By the way, my first trip down there, I've got to go to the the bookstore and get an orange shirt because the only orange shirt I got is a Nike one. Everything else in the room like this. No, you need orange, man. I, I know it's the orange effect. I got to <laughs> buy one. It's like guaranteed I have to buy one. Yeah. All right, real quick. So those corners have been covering the wide receiver room, which we've talked about a ton, flipping over. Jennings and Lane Felton with the ones, but obviously rotating. We saw Gosdell and Holloway. And another name that from last year popped up. I'm maybe a little bit shocked, and that's Dwayne Lofton. Um, Shelton, any shock, anything you're hearing about any of these guys um, or heard about any of these guys? Uh, any of the six? Uh, not really, honestly. I mean, I think it's pretty impressive what they've done, kind of turn that room over. You know, like we were talking about, um, we have to, I think we have to trust coaches to some degree. Obviously, when we look at Brent Pry flipping over 40% of the roster because he knows that the talent level last year wasn't good enough. Similarly, you can look at what he did with the wide receiver room, getting in all those handful of guys. And the reason for that is because they just know that the talent level there wasn't good enough last year. Um, so when we kind of assess, you know, Grant Wells and how he performed last year, obviously he could have been a lot better. 
the receivers did not do him any favors. So I think the coach has done a good job of totally revamping that room in just one year. And obviously I trust Fontel minds a lot with his player evaluations and hopefully he can get those guys coached up. You know, he, um, he was talking to podcast um, a while back about how, you know, perimeter blocking in his room is non-negotiable. Like if you want to play for this staff, you have to block, which I really like to hear because blocking to me has been a big uh, sore spot for tech over the past few years. Yeah. Um, so hopefully he can get those guys coached up. I have a lot of faith in him. And I think, um, I think that's a room where we're going to see a lot of improvement. Yeah. I mean, he's yeah. a tight end. He knows, he knows about blocking out there on the perimeter. So he, he's the, one of the best ones that could probably get that, that group doing that at, at a consistent level. Whatever um, he's selling, man, people are buying. I'm buying. Yeah, they are. Like, we've talked to Fontel, and you see the – you see the. first of all, I wonder who's guarding Felton in practice. Like, that's a big-ass dude, man. You know what I'm saying? He like, is. we had a wide receivers. What what, they, what, what what coach called him today? Uh, Avatar. Avatar. <laughs> like, he's like, Avatar. like an Avatar out there. Well, the thing is, is like, I don't think tech fans, we haven't seen wide receivers – the size that we're going to see some of the wide receivers that we're bringing in and that we have. And even with some of the skill set, I know I don't want to look too far ahead because anything can happen. You know, talking about the people that we have on, on, on campus, but even the wide receivers that they're bringing in, like uh, Makai White just committed to Maryland because we don't got space for him. You know, I ain't saying like he was a lock to go to Virginia tech, but I'm sure we had a shot to get him. Uh, he was showing us a whole lot of love until the last people, like week or so. People, when it, people you know, can spin it how they want to, but I mean, we've got a lot of wide receivers, and everybody knows we don't have a lot of room. So uh, you just got you know the number one receiver in the in the in the state of Virginia. Then we get Chance Wiggins. I don't know exactly where he falls in another top receiver in the state of Virginia that's coming in. Um, and then you see these guys that they have that are. They saying that the, the number one uh, or the, the the first team and second team, like it's going to be a lot of competition in that room. And when people talk about competition, um, it you can have competition of sorry people, and you're just going to get the battle of the mid. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> this, the people that the 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 caliber that we have been bringing in, and what we see now, I think the best player is going to have to play. The best players are going to rise to the top because you got a lot of talented people in that wide receiver room. I think it's probably our deepest unit right now. Which, considering where we were last year, is saying something. Yeah, it's crazy. You're saying a hell of a lot. And just in general, that room, and we talk about the growth of guys now, and we talk about Holloway coming up. Holloway obviously going to probably be fighting with punt return. Again, everything is changed. I think that's, again, we talk about being nostalgic. That is the one thing about this era of college football we're in with the portal. You're a bad team one year. You go make the right moves, build the right culture, bring the right people in. It doesn't take long to flip. Yeah. And that's where I was – that's why I kind of went after Brad a little bit and said, it ain't like we were 2-10 and 10 and got boat raced in 10 games. We got boat raced in really one. Yeah. One. I'll say this: We didn't bring UNC. in any sure things, but we brought in a whole lot of good compared to what we had. The talent level that was on the roster last year. What we had. All right. Anything breaking? We didn't. We didn't change conferences while we sitting here. I'm gonna quit and check it uh, real quick. <laughs> not yet. Not yet, man. Not yet. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, since that is it, we are going to wrap up this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast, brought to you by Main Street Pharmacy in Blacksburg. I am Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Jonathan Talley. 
And I'm Shelton Moss. Visit our website, boundarycornerbt.com, to listen to all of our episodes. Also, we do have the merchandise shop there at Boundary Corner Store, which I have been thinking about maybe making a new one. Just been thinking about some old school stuff in my head. While you're there, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Subscribe to our YouTube page. Shout out to all those on YouTube tonight. I know we've got quite a few been on with us the whole time. Also, your favorite podcast source, including Spotify, Amazon, and Apple Podcasts. As always, we let Jason Long, our buddy down in Roanoke, play us in. He plays us out. Check him out at his website, jasonlongmusic.com. This weekend, August 12th, he will be at the Pepper Palooza at the Grandin Village Farmers Market from 8 to noon. So check him out there if you are in the area. Check out his most recent covers EP, including the Midnight Rider you heard with the Brent Pry episode. We thank you all for always listening. And as always, let's go. Okay. Panel next week, B-Down B-Square.